It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. And I am Don Crawford, Jr., the Grateful General Manager and owner of KWAM Radio, and this is another episode of Estate Planning Essentials, and I'm sitting with my co-host, my friend, and very trusted attorney, Michael H. Cohen. Hello, Michael. Well, my middle initial is actually B, so I'm kind of curious why you use the initial H today. Um, The... H stands for holidays, and this is the holiday season, as you and I know. It's Hanukkah, and Hanukkah starts with an H. And then the holidays, of course, also are Christmas and New Year's and New, and New Year's Eve and Christmas Eve. Those don't even count in many ways since they're not probably full working days. And tis the season, Michael, for so many things. I mean, it's not just giving gifts and being with family, but, boy, it's end-of-the-year stuff. It's planning it's preparing, it's meeting with family and discussing estates. And this is, I don't know if this is your Super Bowl month, but it sounds like it can be very busy for people. Well, I mean, it obviously depends on the situation. I mean, sometimes people have emergencies, and obviously that would be very busy for them right? Uh, and for us in that respect. But uh, other people uh, say, well, I'm off for the holidays, and so you know, right. I'm going to be doing different things with family or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It, it varies. Well, good. Today, um, we want to address something that uh, maybe is something people should consider year-round, not just in December, and that is the issue of Medicaid. And uh, there, you in- indicated before the program that the new numbers are always varying when it comes to income and home value and the like, and you wanted to address that more specifically today. Yeah, and I mean, I don't. not everybody should be, um, you know, should be worried about Medicaid, and I don't want to pretend that they should be, uh, but uh, there's enough people as we live longer, the more likelihood of disability. And if I asked how many of you listeners uh, have long-term care insurance, I bet it's the minority. And since when you don't have long-term care insurance and because Medicare has very limited coverage, then often we have, many people have to depend upon the government for assistance for care costs. The average nursing home, for example, uh, in Texas, average is about $7,138 a month, according to the state. So I didn't make up that figure. Uh, the reason why I know the figure is they it, we kind of calculated uh, there's a when they do for Medicaid, if you make a gift or an uncompensated transfer. The figure they use is the average cost of a nursing home. Hmm. So if you make a gift, if you make a gift within five years, so be careful on those Christmas gifts. <laughs> yeah, you know because because uh, if you make too much of a gift and then you have a stroke within five years, they don't care if it's Christmas. 
government right. says we presume that you did it on purpose to get eligible for us to pay. Mm-hmm. So, although I'm not going to probably, if, I mean, we can talk about transfers, but that's, you know, they came up with that in September. So it's important to note in case you don't have adequate income to pay that $7,000 or so a month, or if you have inadequate resources or inadequate long-term care insurance, and especially as we age. So if the older we get, the more that these things become important uh, because cost of care is so great. As I've told you on the show several times before, uh, my grandmother went into a facility when she was 85. Now, by the way, Medicaid's not just at a facility, uh, and there are 109 Medicaid programs, so this is only going to be applicable to a couple of the programs, what I'm about to talk about. Uh, the There's 109 Medicaid programs, each with their own rules, but the, the idea is that we have to see what we could do to get eligibility uh, for governmental assistance so that, quite frankly, assets or uh, we could get the government to help pay for care if you have inadequate funds. And most mm-hmm. people don't have that. My grandmother went into a facility, I was about to say, at age 85. She lived to almost 98. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and I think at that time, it was average cost was about $5,000 a month. Uh, that would be about $780,000 of assets to pay for care costs. And unfortunately, most people probably don't have happen to have that in their pocket. So if you if you don't, especially if you get a, something like a, you know, an Alzheimer's or some sort of dementia-related disease, often you could be, you know, need care for many years if you're chronically ill, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's where Medicaid comes in because you could uh, uh, they could help pay for care costs either in a nursing home, for example, or even at home. So the first thing I I wanted to talk about was there are certain things that do not count as an asset. And every year they have different figures on what's allowed. Um, So for a home, a homestead is one of the biggest assets that doesn't count as far as Medicaid is concerned. But there's an equity limit only if you're single. Now, this is on long-term care Medicaid or care at a home, at home, in other words, uh, where the, the state pays somebody to come to the home. Uh, if you're single, the equity limit, so they, they announce new figures every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2021, the equity limit was 603000 but that's going up to 636000 as of January 1st. Oh. So... Yeah, so that sounds like, well, most people, probably most Texans, their home is probably worth less than that. So so for most people, it's not an issue. Uh, by the way, if you're married, there is no equity limit at all. Mm-hmm. Um, now, usually if you have a $2 million home, you're not applying for Medicaid. Although we did see that happen one time. We had a rancher in West Texas who had inherited some property. His wife needed to go into a nursing home because of some dementia. And that $2 million ranch, which covered hundreds of acres, uh, it didn't matter uh, that it was worth $2 million because they were married. Uh, Now, if he had died first, then it would have been a problem because then with the equity, uh, if she had the property, then um, 
it would have been worth too much for Medicaid, but not if they're married. So, so if 603 right now, going up to 636. Now, if you, uh, let's say you had your home was worth uh, 650. Well, how do we, it, it's the home equity limit, not the actual value of the home. So, if you have a mortgage on the property, you subtract that. So, if you had a $100,000 mortgage on a $650,000 home, well, then that is below the limit. Let's say that there was no mortgage. Well, you could kind of make one sometimes. In other words, let's say the kids loan money and have a mortgage on the property, uh, and then with the money that's been that was received, that uh, applicant could buy some things that do not count. So, for example, a pre-need funeral doesn't count. So, if um, so, let's say your equity limit was uh, uh, let's say it was six fifty. Let's say it's six forty or something like that, six forty-five, and you bought a ten thousand dollar funeral. You, you kid loans you ten thousand. With the ten thousand dollars, you they'll go, go ahead and buy a funeral. Then it then now you're uh, you're you still owe the kid, but you bought something that didn't count for Medicaid. So in other words, there's different ways to get below the limit, but that's really pretty rare because most people don't have a home uh, that. Is, is that valuable? Uh, so it doesn't count for Medicaid as long. If you're in a, home, a nursing home, you have to have an intent to return home. So even though if you never ever plan on coming back, there must be an intent uh, that you sign when you do the application for it to not count as a resource. The only problem would be, of course, about homes that we've talked about before is that the state has a right to make a claim against the home after death to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced. There are some exceptions to the rules. So after the person's on Medicaid, they pay, in other words, the government pays for care at a nursing home or for care at home or for drug costs. Then after that person's death, the state sends a letter from its collection agency saying, hey, we intend to make a claim. And then the, after a couple weeks after that, they say, all right, this is how much you owe. Uh, we had one this week that person been on Medicaid for years, uh, been in a nursing home, and I think the uh, amount of owed was like $500,000. Now, we protected that, by the way, with a Lady Bird deed that we've talked about before, uh, which is a deed. Texas goes after things um, that go by will, if you have a will, or by intestacy, if you don't have a will. And you can't put a home in a revocable trust because under the Medicaid rules, it counts as a resource. So uh, a lot of times people do different types of deed where they're in control of the property during their life, and then it goes to loved one or beneficiary at death. A couple different types of deeds. One's a enhanced life estate deed, the ladybird deed, and then there's also what's called a transfer on death deed. There's various benefits and detriments on each one. Usually we prefer the um, enhanced life estate deed, the ladybird deed, because it has warranties of title. In other words, going back through the history of that land, if there's ever a problem, you have a warranty generally, whereas on a transfer of, on debt deed, there's not. There are some benefits on transfer of debt deeds, but that's for another show. By the way, there are also some other exceptions to estate recovery. If your spouse survives you, well, that's an exception to the rule. If you have a child under 21, which we rarely have because mostly these are older, elderly 
that are in facilities or getting care at home. But if you had a child under 21, that would be an exception. Or if the Medicaid recipient's child is either blind or disabled, then that's an exception. Uh, or if there's a uh, demonstrative uh, hardship on the beneficiaries, then that would also uh, be an exception. Um, so a lot of times people might have, let's say, uh, let's say you have a, a farm and your income is dependent upon um, keeping that family farm, well, that would be a hardship. Don't see those type of cases very often, but it could be. So, mm-hmm. And then there's also sometimes if the equity in if the home is worth less than 100000 and the uh, heirs, the beneficiaries' income is less than 300% of the poverty level, then uh, that's an exception as well. You don't see the exceptions. Usually it's usually the most common thing is either a surviving spouse or a ladybird deed, or uh, maybe you'll have a disabled child, but those other ones are, are rare, uh, but sometimes we have them fit in that category. Okay. So that's, that's pretty much it on the uh, home equity loan, uh, home equity, not loan, the home equity value is going up as of January 1st to 636000 Most people wouldn't even think that you could have that much of a home uh, for it to not cause a resource for Medicaid. Mm-hmm. The next thing I'd like to, the next new number I'd like to talk about is on income. Uh, so for Medicaid, there's a, what's called an income cap. Now, I'm talking about long-term care Medicaid. This is care because the rules are different. This is a, something that people get confused by all the time. If your um, income is in Texas, and not every state is like this, if your income is over a certain level, then the government won't pay for care unless you do some different things like a Miller Trust or a Qualified Income Trust. It's the same thing, Miller Trust, for those who are elder, elder law attorneys like me, uh, a Qualified Income Trust, and it's also called a QIT. For older people, you might say there's there's no longer because it's been around a long time. It's no longer a it's no longer on the QT for it to have a QIT. Uh, okay. That means it's no longer hush hush. So the income. So because just it's all based on just like on the Social Security, everything you know your Social Security is going up five point nine percent in twenty twenty two. By the way, unfortunately, your Medicare Part B premium is going to go up too, a lot because, um, uh, quite frankly, and um, you know, because government's going to take care of that Alzheimer's drug, uh, so that premium is going to go up, uh, so that Medicare will cover if somebody uh, has that new Alzheimer's drug that we've talked about on shows before. Uh, Anyway, uh, the new income cap. this past year, it's been twenty three eighty two, two thousand three hundred eighty two dollars, but that's going up to two thousand five hundred twenty seven dollars as of January one. So let's say that, and the Texas follows what's called the name on the check rule. So it's not the combined incomes of the husband and wife um, when they look at this. If your income, let's say Social Security or pension, is the most common sources of income. If your income exceeds that limit, and they look at the gross, not the net. In other words, they don't. You know, you might get Social Security, let's say, of two thousand dollars in your account each month, but before it gets to your account, there's a Medicare Part B premium. 
let's say, uh, $148.50 or 60 cents in 20, they look at that, that, that part that's taken out uh, as part of the income when they determine if your income is over the limit. Mm-hmm. So if you, uh, if you withhold for taxes, which most people don't from their Social Security, but sometimes people do, they look at the gross. They take out, it could also, it could be some people have Medicare Part D, your drug coverage taken out of Social Security. So they look at the gross, not the amount that was actually uh, deposited into the uh, your bank. Now, to solve, to solve the problem, if your income exceeds the limit, there's a certain type of income-only trust. This has been around since 1994. And I, this is this is going to only show my age, but I have I was one of the first ones to do one of those things in 1994. Wow. So I've been there from the beginning. Okay. So the um, so this shows you I'm an elder elder law attorney. Uh, so you basically put the income into this income only, not asset trust, and then there could be eligibility. Uh, so let's say you had uh, $2,600 of income from. Uh, a pension, then you put that pension into the trust. You put the full pension, not just the amount that's uh, over the cap or anything like that. And then you pay the facility if you're in a nursing home uh, the difference. Uh, I'm not I mean you pay the facility that income minus the Medicare Part B minus the Medicare D. And if you have a Medicare supplement, you can subtract that as well as a personal needs allowance, generally sixty dollars unless you're a veteran. Uh, the Now, if you're at home and the government pays somebody to come to the home, it's a different Medicaid program, then on that one you put the, all the income in the trust, but you only pay the state the excess over the cap after the deductions. Okay. So if you, uh, so if you had uh, deductions of $300 uh, and your income was $2,600, then you'd be paying... Um, well, you might not be paying anything in that situation with the income cap rising to twenty five, twenty seven. Get to keep all the income if you're getting uh, if you're getting care at home. You get to keep your income, take care of your expenses at home. So it's only if you're in a nursing home that you have to give them all the income minus those deductions. Now I say that <clears throat> that's only if you're single. If you're married, then the well spouse could have some of that income. Uh, so, in other words, and that income limit as of January 1st is going to rise from $32,59.50 to $3,435 a month. So, let's say that uh, husband and wife, the uh, uh, husband has income of, oh, I say gross income of, uh, oh, we'll just say $2,700. And let's say that the wife's income is uh, $700. Well, I just told you that the allowable limit for income for a spouse is $3,435 as of January 1st. So because the total income is less than that allowable limit, the well spouse could keep all the income to live off of. Now, if the well spouse had income of $5,000 a month, then they would not get any of it because their income is over that 3435 threshold. 
So it kind of gets so even though you have a qualified income trust and you put the income into the trust, if the well spouse has less than thirty four thirty five combined between them and um, uh, and the uh, ill spouse, then they get to keep all the income. If it's only sometimes it's only part of the income. So let's say that the total income was four thousand, uh, then they may get. Uh, so in other words, the ill spouse's income was, I think, under my example, twenty seven hundred. Let's say that the well spouse's income was half of that, around thirteen and change. Well, then to get up to the thirty four limit, then there could be a diversion. If they had thirteen hundred, then they could get twenty one hundred of the. $2,700 of income from the ill spouse from the qualified income trust. I know that's a lot of details. Um, the bottom line is that even if your income exceeds the limit, as long as it's less than the cost of the facility, there's a certain type of exception trust. It used to be known as a Miller Trust, but now more commonly known as a QIT or a qualified income trust that could be utilized to uh, you know, have eligibility. And I'm going to mention one more thing, uh, and that is your power of attorney. Uh, most powers of attorney, the statutory durable powers of attorney that most attorneys use, only deal with existing trusts. Uh, they do not give the authority to create a trust. So if you don't have long-term care insurance, you might some banks won't let you open up an account unless there's the authority. Well, if you just use a statutory form, there is no authority. So you need to have language in your power of attorney that covers that. That makes perfect sense. All of it does. It's very complicated. It's very deep. I have a good feeling you didn't read a word of it in the 22 minutes that you explained everything to us regarding Medicaid. But um, there are many complications, obviously, when it comes to this topic. And as you said, things change all of the time. Numbers change. And January 1st will be no exception. That is January 1st of 2022. And so this is just another reason why you should attend Michael's next workshop, which um, is scheduled now for Thursday, December the 16th at 1 o'clock. And the workshop is online, so you don't have to attend in person. And it's via Zoom, so it's a couple clicks, and you're right there and uh, enjoying the uh, education that Michael will provide when it comes to estate planning and government assistance, especially regarding today's topics in, uh, on Medicaid, it's deep. It doesn't apply to everybody, of course, that listens to this program, but it does apply to enough where they should attend and ask Michael more questions because what is the facts today will change tomorrow. So, Michael, tell us more about your workshops, please. Yeah, we call it an estate planning essentials workshop, but a lot of times people ask questions like on Medicaid. So, on the workshop that we had on November the uh, 30th, uh, on that one, most of the questions were on Medicaid, but uh, however, most of them, uh, other workshops, they're mostly on estate planning. So we call it an estate planning essentials workshop, but long-term care is, some, is a part of uh, estate planning. Uh, so most people think about what happens when you die. They don't think about the fact that they may become disabled. Right. Uh, so uh, we ask people what they want to know at that estate planning essentials workshop, which is free. Uh, and then we proceed to answer the questions. We also have, uh, you know, some presentation about estate planning uh, and a little bit about Medicaid as well. It depends on what the questions that are asked. 
and we, for two hours, answer those questions. And I think you'll find that the two hours will fly by, you'll learn something, and they're going to have fun along the way. Uh, it's free. It's without any charge. Uh, it's just complimentary. It's ed- educational. If you want to attend the free estate planning essentials workshop, all you have to do is call 214 720 That's 214-720-0102. Or sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. And I think you'll enjoy the workshop. Uh, if you do, KAAM listeners know, uh, if they've listened to our show before, uh, you get one more bonus. Not only do you get this two-hour free estate planning essentials workshop, which I think you're going to enjoy uh, and learn something, uh, but you'll also uh, get a what we call a free one-hour vision meeting where we kind of go into your situation in more depth uh, without any obligation as well. Uh, So you get three free hours of education on questions. Here it is. It's the end of the year. A lot of people think about changes to their wills or their trust or whatever, uh, and or maybe just have questions on beneficiary designations, or it could be, you know, possible new laws that may occur before the end of the year. Uh, Whatever it may be, we will go over those issues and see if it affects you or your loved ones because usually we want to take care of not only you, but also your loved ones in a way that you feel makes it simpler for them whether you should either pass or become disabled. Again, to attend that uh, free estate planning essentials workshop, uh, all you have to do is sign up online at DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com. Or sign or call us at uh, 214-720-01. And you can get that three free hours of free education. My estate planning essentials attorney, Michael Cohen, who should be your estate planning attorney, Michael Cohen. I thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you and happy holidays, Dawn. The record shows I took the blows and did it Leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.